Thanks, Aaron. Well, good morning again. Glad you're here. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, this morning we're continuing in our sermon series that we've been in all year long in 2019 in the Old Testament book of Judges. And I, I know at times if you've been here, if you've ever read uh, the book of Judges, it, it, it's filled with some odd and strange stories. Uh, but prayerfully we've been seeing that, uh, that God's grace prevails to those whose lives are messy. And that's good news uh, to us this morning that God's grace prevails in our lives. Uh, we're going to look this morning at Samson. We're going to actually spend two weeks in the life of Samson in Judges 13 through 16. I'm going to preach this morning, and then Chris Cooper will preach next week. Uh, as is our custom, I'm going to ask you to stand as I read God's word, that we might give attention, that he's the one who speaks to us, and he's given us himself and his revelation in the scriptures. I'm going to read Judges 14, 1 through 7, and then Judges chapter 15, 9 through 13. This is his word to us. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Chapter 15. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? They said, We have come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is it that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so have I done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Old Testament prophet Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you that you've given us the scriptures, that by the spirit of God, you communicate to our spirits what is true. Not only do we get what is true in, in the head knowledge, but Lord, may we encounter, may we experience, may we know in the depths of who we are that, that what you want uh, us to, to encounter this morning is true, it's good, and Lord, I pray that it would be beautiful, beautiful and good news to our souls this morning. I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can have a seat. February 8th, 1960, a few blocks from here, 20 men and women from North Carolina College, which is now North Carolina Central University, participated in a, in a sit-in in what was Woolworths, S.H. Cress, and Walgreens. The sit-in movement began a few weeks prior in Greensboro, North Carolina, but Many believe its inception was spawned by a sit-in in 1957 that also happened just a few blocks from here 
in what was then the Royal Parlor Ice Cream Shop. The sit-in movement, it was a nonviolent movement that spread across our country. Protests of segregation in businesses and restaurants in the Jim Crow South. Now, I'm a son of the South. I was born in Valley, Alabama, raised in Columbus, Georgia, and attended Auburn University from 1996 to 2000. Uh, and it's sad to say that it wasn't until around 2008 that I really began to wrestle with the realities of racism and systemic racism in our country. But since 2008, there have been moments where I've wondered if I were living in Durham on February 8th, 1960 as a Christian, what would my response, what would my activity have been if I were present at Woolworths? How would I have responded if I was there when the sit-in happened? Another question, what would I have done if I was on the bus when Rosa Parks took her stand and sat in the front of the bus? What do you think your response would have been? And when we look at the history of the civil rights movement, how could much of the white church not only have allowed racial segregation, but sanctioned it? How could Christians go to church on a Sunday and then come home to their slaves? How could the Southern Presbyterian Church form without thinking about racism and fighting against its own racism? Even more, how could it allow and form churches around segregation? Why could they not see the sin of racism? I'm going to propose that the reason can be learned from Samson and that this reason has other effects in our lives. And the reason is this. We have the tendency and the temptation to be assimilated into the culture in which we live. Now, hear how I'm defining assimilation, because I just mentioned racism. I'm not talking about how, because of racism in our country, people of color, because of power dynamics, have been forced to assimilate into the majority culture. The way I'm using assimilate is to mean to become like, to take on the values of a culture. When you are assimilated, you adopt and embody the culture. There is no distinction between your values and your behaviors and the culture's values and behaviors. So when assimilation happens, there can be fear within our hearts that we're being distinct or separate. There is a fear that can exist to rock the boat or to have conflict with the culture. This is why I believe conservative churches can speak about the inerrancy of the Bible and the centrality and uniqueness of Jesus Christ and never talk about racism and poverty. For addressing racism will rock the boat in many conservative cultures. That's why I also believe in many liberal churches where, where they can fight for and talk about social justice and serving the poor, but you may never hear them preach on Acts chapter 4, that there is no other name than Jesus by which we must be saved because the centrality of Jesus Christ will rock the boat in many relativistic cultures that oppose exclusive truth claims. A few months ago, we were able to go see the Broadway play Hamilton when it came to Durham along with thousands of others in our city. And man, it, it lived up to its hype. It was so good. Uh, I have to admit though that I got, I got visceral and angry when I watched Aaron Burr. This man who ultimately shot and killed Alexander Hamilton. Burr, one of the founders of our country, 
And, and there's un unbelievable songs by Lynn Manuel throughout as everybody sings. But listen to Lynn Manuel's song for Aaron Burr. And he's singing with Alexander Hamilton. This is what Burr says. He says, while we're talking, let me offer you some free advice. Talk less. Hamilton says, what? Burr says, smile more. Ha, don't let them know what you're against or what you're for. You can't be serious. Yes, you want to get ahead? Fools who run their mouths often wind up dead. Burr was afraid to rock the boat. And I got so angry at him in the play. But am I like Burr in ways? Are we like Burr in ways? Do we walk through life, if we're Christians, talking less, smiling more? Are we afraid to let people know what we're for or against, specifically if it rocks the boat of whatever culture we live in? So let's look at Samson and Israel and learn about this assimilation. Uh, Samson's life really could be a summer blockbuster movie. Uh, in fact, I learned this week, was told that Netflix has a movie out about Samson. Uh, Judges chapter 13 through 16, the Samson narrative, it's filled with sex and violence and romance and death. I mean, it is a movie. Uh, Samson, in these chapters, he kills 30 Philistines over a gambling debt. And then he gets angry because his wife is taken from him, and so he, he burns down the fields of the Philistines. He strikes at their pocketbook. He takes away their economic livelihood. This man's ruthless. You see, Samson's not a hero. Samson, in fact, is a terrible person. No one wanted to be friends with this man. But chapter 13 tells us that Samson is the promised deliverer that God's going to use. We'll learn more about that in a minute. And in Judges chapter 13, the very beginning of the narrative, verse 1, it says, Israel did what was evil in the sight of God. If you've been here, that's a repeated, repeated refrain throughout Judges because that's the beginning of this repeated cycle that we see with Israel. All throughout, Israel, Israel does what is evil in the sight of God. God then gives them over to suffering and oppression. Israel cries out for deliverance. God provides a judge or a deliverer. But in chapter 13, it looks like the cycle is going to repeat, but actually it's broken because Israel never cries out. Israel doesn't say anything until they get angry at Samson after he's defeated the Philistines in Judges chapter 15. Judges chapter 15, verse 11, this is Israel at their low point. says, then 3,000 men of Judah, Israel, went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? They're angry at Samson. Why are they angry? Because he's rocked the boat with the Philistines. Israel has not cried out for deliverance because they have become accustomed to being ruled by the Philistines. Israel has assimilated into the pagan culture. They're so assimilated they, that they don't want conflict with the culture. So let me just say, this is the most dangerous place for anyone in here to be. That if we live in our current culture, and we never experience conflict with it, conflict with its prevalent beliefs, values, or behaviors, it's a dangerous place to be. If for some reason we're like Israel, enjoying the peace of being in the culture, and we never cry out because we experience this conflict. Because the Bible is clear from beginning to end. God's people are to be a set-apart people. 
God's church is to be a set-apart community, that the world and the church are separate and distinct from one another. Michael Wilcock put it this way, there's no such thing as harmonious coexistence between the church and the world. For where there is no conflict, it's because the world has taken over. Israel has assimilated. Where do we assimilate? I think in many ways and in many places. I've already mentioned a a few, the conservative church not speaking about racism or the liberal church not talking about the uniqueness of Christ as some examples. And there may be people in here that fall into one of those camps. But as I've prayed and thought this week more specifically about Christ Central Church, there are two ways that I think we can assimilate here. Uh, Time and money. Our time and our money. We think our time is our time. It's mine to do with what I want when I choose rather than seeing all of our time as God's and he's gifted it to us to steward. We think it's mine. Uh, we're, we're trying uh, this Easter, we're about to move just for Easter into three services because God's been gracious to our church, a 9, a 1045, uh, and a 1230 service. Uh, and we'll need people from a 9 or a 1045 to be willing to go to the 1230 so that there's community as people show up. We'll need volunteers for the 1230 service. And every time we've done something like this, when we moved to two services a year and a half ago, every year when we recruit volunteers, I just got to say, it's kind of (laughs) painful. It is so painful to try to get people, and I'm included, to give up their time that they think is their time to do something else for the sake of God and his kingdom. My time is my time. It's, It's just how we kind of operate. It's how I operate. We also think our money is our money. We think we can spend money on whatever we decide, schooling for our children, the houses that we want to live in, the vacations we want to go on, the retirement account we think we deserve to have. I'm not sure that the way we handle our money looks any different than our culture. Samson is often pictured as mighty Samson, right? Flowing locks of hair who brings down destruction on the Philistines. But Samson's not a picture of what we're to be. He's a picture of what we're not to be. God's Spirit used Samson, which is an encouragement. Because if God can use this man, he can use anyone. He can use you and he can use me. He will use you and he will use me. Throughout the story of Samson, the Spirit of God is mentioned. And though Samson may be used by the Spirit of God, he's far from being filled with the Spirit of God. And herein lies the difference between the church and the world. The church and its people are filled with and empowered by the Spirit of God, which causes distinction and separation. Samson warns us of being assimilated, and so he gives us two warning signs that I want to show forth. The first warning sign of assimilation is that we live by temperament rather than Holy Spirit. We live by temperament rather than Holy Spirit. Look at Samson's temperament. He's first, he's impulsive. Judges 14, 1 through 2, Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. And his parents say, Samson, she's a Philistine. You're supposed to save us from the Philistines, not marry into the Philistines. In verse 3, he says, get her for me, for she's right in my eyes. In verse 7, it says she was right in Samson's eyes. 
Samson literally translated, says to his parents, this is literal, seen a woman, get her for me. Samson's like a drunk guy at a nightclub. She looks good, I want, right? This man is controlled by his senses, extremely sensual. In many ways, Samson is a sexual addict. He can overcome the power of a lion, but he cannot control his sexual appetite. And our culture tells us to trust our impulses, that what is right is what I feel is right, that we don't like having authority over us telling us what is right or wrong. So everybody does, like Samson, what is right in their own eyes. I'll spend my time and my money and my sexuality on what I want when I want. Samson is impulsive. And we can be too. Now, Samson has nothing in his life that he allows to check his impulses. Samson, secondly, his temperament is he's unteachable. He's unteachable. Samson's parents try to check his impulses. Verse 3, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. He's unwilling to listen to his parents. His parents are saying, Samson, this isn't right. This isn't what God wants for you. This is not what you were born for, but he doesn't care. He wants to do what he wants to do. Many of you have seen the fire documentary on Netflix about the fire festival. Uh, we watched it a few weeks ago, but Billy McFarlane created what was going to be this luxurious festival on an exclusive island. And he creates this extreme buzz where people are paying thousands of dollars to attend this fire festival. But the festival would become this major flop and bust, and McFarlane would be charged with fraud, taking people's money, not providing what was advertised. And throughout the documentary, uh, he is shown as very impulsive. He gets what he wants when he wants. He's got the money to do so. Uh, but the thing that shocked me even more is that even after he's indicted and he's arrested on fraud, he posts bail, and then the documentary shows him using a friend to start making phone calls to the people who registered for the fire festival with a new attempt at fraud. I thought, man, this guy's crazy. Right after prison, he goes and does the exact same thing. What does it take to teach this man a lesson? But how many times have I been told that I do certain things or I behave in certain ways, be it by my wife or by a friend or by somebody on our staff team or the Lord reveals it himself and I keep acting the same way? Are we teachable? A very good sign that the Spirit of God is governing your life is that you're willing to listen and be teachable, whether it be from a friend, a spouse, a city group, God's word. But the, if the Spirit of God is not governing your life, you will want what you want, when you want it, even if it's absurd. And even if you know God doesn't want it for you, you'll want it now. But God uses his word. He uses other people. He uses circumstances to speak to us. And he is speaking. The question is, are you teachable? Samson's impulsive. He's unteachable. He's becoming indistinguishable from the culture, just like Israel. Do you notice that we find Samson at Timnah, which geographically is in the middle of Philistia? 
Right? Samson's going down into the heart of the Philistines. He wants to marry this woman. Now, maybe it's because she's beautiful, but it's probably because marrying this Philistine woman would increase his social standing in the culture. It's exactly what Israel's doing. You see, when assimilation happens, you're driven by impulse. You're unteachable. You seek to fit in, to belong, to move up in culture rather than being driven by the Spirit of God and seeking first His kingdom. Here's the second warning sign of assimilation. Relying on giftedness rather than spirit fruitfulness. Relying on giftedness rather than spirit fruitfulness. Samson is a very gifted person. God has gifted him by the Spirit to do incredible things. We didn't read it, but Samson kills a thousand men with a jawbone. This man is an incredible warrior, a great feat. He's gifted, but he lacks the true mark of being filled with the Spirit, which is growing in the fruit of Holy Spirit. Listen to the fruit of Galatians 5, uh, 22, describing fruit of Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Hear me, you can be gifted, and a lot of you, all of you are gifted. And you can do great things in this world, but have no fruit of Holy Spirit. And the world and our culture operates by giftedness, but Christians are to bear fruit that comes from Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 14 in the New Testament, Paul tells us that the gifts of the Spirit are skills for doing. They're abilities to do things, to serve people, to help people. They can be used for other ends too, but Galatians 5 tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is character, traits of being, we can read Scripture and we see many people like Samson, people with great gifts but very shallow in their holiness and character. There are people in our world that do great things. They're even used for the benefit of others, but they lack fruit. Their character is not being transformed. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that we can have all the skills, all the gifts. We can be incredible leaders, but without love, without Holy Spirit, it's worth nothing. Here's what I'm saying. You can have incredible gifts and do great things, and your inner life can be a complete wreck. In fact, I would say that oftentimes there is a correlation between someone who has a very impressive outer life and a very broken inner life. I could preach a whole sermon on the most amazing gifted preachers of the gospel who had a wreck of an inner life. And that is scary. It is scary for me as I preach, but it's not just true for preachers. It's true for gifted people all over our world who are being used in incredible ways but have just a wreck of an inner life. It scares me to death that I could get up here a week in and week out and preach. I could think about the leadership of our church week in and week out and be tempted to try to do so by living out of my giftedness. And I have to be honest, at times I do this. And when I do... I can feel it in my inner life. My soul begins to feel malnourished and small. I'm exhausted. I begin to be irritable and critical and demanding. 
Your outward life can be impressive. Your inner life can be a wreck. So let me give you three questions to examine your inner life. Here's the first. Do you think God is pleased by your activity more than your being? Do you say things like, look at how I serve. Look at who I serve. God is pleased with me. The world has many busy people doing great things. But the proof of Holy Spirit is not your activity. It's your character being transformed. It is the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Here's a second question. What does your prayer life look like? This is one of the best indicators of spiritual health. Is prayer warm? Is it enjoyable? Is it consistent? Do you not only talk to God, but do you listen and learn from God in prayer? Are you shaped by God in prayer? Or are you like Samson, only praying as a last resort and only for yourself and your own desires? Here's the third question. Are you living the Lone Ranger Christian life? Samson's a Lone Ranger. He's not teachable. He won't listen to his parents. He doesn't work with others. He doesn't build teams around him. He's a Lone Ranger. If no one is close enough to you to see your spiritual life so that they can encourage or challenge you, there's a greater chance that your internal life becomes disintegrated from your outward life. Close friendships, Intimate fellowship is the best way to ensure that your outward and inner life are aligned. Are you living assimilated to the culture? How are you living assimilated to the culture? Is there healthy conflict for you with the world in which you live in? You know, the good thing about our God is that he is gracious enough to bring conflict even if we don't want it, especially when we don't want it. So that there's this creation of a separation from the world so that we might live in union and communion with him. Judges chapter 4, verse 4, it's the key verse for this Samson narrative. Look at verse 4. It said, his father and his mother, Samson's father and mother, did not know that this was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. It's not saying Samson's seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. The Lord was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. You see... Samson's parents had plans for their little boy, but God had a different plan for Samson. And God is acting in a completely unexpected way. God would use the very weaknesses of Samson, his sexual addiction, his temper, his violence, to bring about conflict, to disrupt the status quo. God uses Samson's sin to break up Israel's assimilation with the Philistines. Judges 15 11, again, the Jews come down to Samson. Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is that you've done to us? What have you done to us? God is doing something to them. God is being gracious. That in the mystery of God, God remains faithful to his promises, not despite their sin, but through their sin. He does so for us. He remains faithful to us. Not despite our sinfulness, but he'll even use our sinfulness. God is at work in your life and in my life. He is at work in the conflict in your life. Israel loved being among the powerful Philistines. 
They loved being at peace and enjoyed the privileges of the culture, but God would not let them rest. He would not let them hide in the culture. Everything that happens in Judges 13 through 16 is to stir up conflict and suffering so that Israel will deal with their sin and be set apart in relationship with the gracious God. I know that there's a lot of suffering in this room. A lot of you are going through suffering of different kinds. A lot of you have conflict in your life. And you want it to just go away. Just a little peace and comfort. But Jesus is stirring up discomfort. He is stirring up conflict so that you can be freed from what you're trying to hide. He's gracious. He is so committed to delivering us that he will even use our sinfulness. I began by asking what we'd have done on February 8th, 1960. If we were there, we were Christians. Would we bow to the cultural pressures or would we make a stand? Let me ask a better question. Not what would you have done, but what will you do? What will you do? Will you be like Aaron Burr and talk less and smile more? Or will you allow the God of grace and the gospel of grace to transform you in such a way that you live by Holy Spirit? That the Spirit is transforming you so that you're governed by God's ways and God's rules, that you're producing fruit of character, that you're driven not by the winds of our culture and its current values, but by the values of God's kingdom. When we are spirit-filled, kingdom-vision people, I believe then we'll be a people that care deeply about systemic injustices and the uniqueness and centrality of Jesus Christ. We will be ready to fight for what is true despite the conflict it might bring. God is so gracious that he causes conflict so that we might be delivered from our sin and he might be glorified in and through us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you holy disruption, the holy conflict that you bring into our lives. Lord, we want it to go away. <laughs> At times, that's all we want from you is for you to make it go away. But you, you are so committed and so gracious to us that you won't let it go away until you give us what we most desperately need, which is union and fellowship and communion with the living God. So wake us out of our slumber. Draw us out of the ways that we assimilate. Make us holy and distinct. Allow us to have the aroma of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the, the taste of grace and mercy, because we walk deeply in fellowship with you. Lord, use this table as we come to it now to draw us to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.